the best thing I've seen around Me Too is that men are starting to get a clue about, wow, that thing I did, oh, it was just fun, or boys being boys, or yeah, she liked it, like all those things that we tell ourselves are cracking open. And I think the most important thing is just continuing the dialogue, the honest dialogue of what's happening in the world so we can still, you know, hip up and educate men about the effect. Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Hi, it's Jessica Ann, and this is episode 25 of The Art of Humanity. Today is Saturday, November 4th, and it's the full moon. I used to wish everyone a happy full moon, but I think I'm going to stop doing that because the full moon is really a time when a lot of darkness is brought to the surface. And there's a whole lot of darkness today. But the good thing about having a podcast is that we can speak up about any issues or challenges to transmute this darkness into more positive experience, or at least have a discussion about it. And this interview is one of those topics. As I was thinking of an intro to this episode, I came across this quote by one of my favorite writers, John Steinbeck, from East of Eden. Here it is. There's more beauty in truth, even if it is dreadful beauty. As some of you may know, I'm a writer, a digital strategist, and content marketer. My background is in journalism, and I've interviewed a lot of cool people in my past. But, you know, that's besides the point. It really just provides a little bit of context around where I am today and where I see us going. In terms of the distinction between journalism and social influence, today I find that there's really no distinction. Do you see a distinction? I'd love to hear from you. You can always email me at hello at jessicaannmedia.com and let me know your thoughts or opinions. And you can always leave a review on iTunes as well. Uh, but back to the distinction or the lack thereof between journalism and social. It's really hard today to tell the difference between bloggers and journalists and writers. Uh, where did the journalists go when the old media row is dying? Traditional journalism is reduced to a reality that's completely inconsistent with real life, and it's up to us to co-create what's really happening in the world. We have the power. But I'm finding that journalism, along with our general overall humanity, they're being dumbed down because of the need for clickbait. And the middle ground is the personal voice. It's the context. It's the stories. We need it now more than ever before. What I love about the John Steinbeck quote I mentioned earlier is that it's really prescient today because whether it's a quote that you find on the internet or on Instagram or the content that you consume through your earbuds like this podcast, it allows you to see every single experience as a chance to evolve. When you use everything in your reality to benefit your life and your business, you can mold each situation to see the beauty. You become liberated by the experiences of your day-to-day so that you can realize that you're right where you're meant to be. From this place, you can respond with intuition that speaks to your heart. So here's a conversation that's near and dear to my heart with someone who I respect and admire for his honesty. Here's my conversation with Robert Candell. Welcome to the Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I'm so excited to have with me Robert Candell. Rob has spent the last 16 years helping people re-energize their lives and build better relationships through more honest and authentic connection. 
After building a successful consulting firm in San Francisco, he then co-founded One Taste in 2004 with Nicole Dedon, Taking on the challenging task of bringing conscious sexuality to the mainstream market, Robert built the company from scratch to a high seven-figure international corporation. He left One Taste in 2014 to start his own consulting firm, helping small businesses become marketable and profitable. Rob is also an accomplished teacher, coach, and lecturer. He brings his enthusiasm to his weekly podcast, Tough Love, on subjects around relationships, intimacy, communication, and gender dynamics. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for joining me today. My absolute pleasure. Glad to be here. So, Rob, I love your work so much uh, mm-hmm. just because you're so real and you you bring so much to the conversation. Um, you know, as I'm Thank reading you. your background, it's clear that you've done a lot of work on yourself. And mm-hmm. I'm curious because don't wake up and say, I want to be a life coach and talk about all the juicy stuff that you talk about in your day-to-day life. So I love to like dig a little bit deeper and go into your background a little bit. You tell listeners how you got to where you are today. Well, I never expected to be in this seat or having this conversation. Uh, and when I was growing up, it wasn't like life coach, writer, podcaster, teacher was on my, you know, guidance counselor sheet. It was engineer or scientist or something more geeky and mathematical. Then I ended up doing, um, but it it really shifted for me um, when I was 28, and on a many many different levels. And what happened in 28 is I went to Burning Man, and I went to for those who don't know, Burning Man is a festival in the desert, and Burning Man uh, I thought was for other people. I had like a lot of judgments around it. It was for the artists and the hippies and the doulas and the massage therapists, and. I had a lot of uh, judgment against it, but I went because my wife, I was married at the time, wanted to go, and I wanted to make her happy, so I went and then found out there was this whole different part of myself that lived inside of me that I was like, oh, oh, whoa. So that was the start of my journey. You know, when you mentioned Burning Man, it's like there's so many different uh, like judgments and and factors we kind of need to shed or remove from our layers of identity just to even associate to want to go to Burning Man. Like I've never been before, but I'm curious. Like I'm just, there's like a curiosity kind of that drives me. And you know, what came out of that experience for you and what kind of drives you today? Um, you know, going, if you can remember back to, you know, the, the start of your mission or the start of your adventure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, is that still a driving force for who you are today? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so the, the spark or the beginning of the story really started at Burning Man. And what happened is once I got there, when I stepped out of the car for the first time, it was twilight. There were drums in the distance. And I got out of the car and this uh, twilight cool breeze hit me. And the words, you're home, popped in my head. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm a yuppie. I, I'm just doing this for Carol. I'm just, you know, no, like I'm not you know, I'm not supposed to be here. And there was a part of me that was like, no, you are. So the one of the biggest factors that happened there, what really shifted my life was um, at the second or third day of Burning Man, uh, Carol came to me and said, I heard about this camp called Delilah's Den, and they're doing orgies there. Do you want to go? Well, you know, I've had this rich, internal, very secret fantasy life my entire life, fueled by internet porn. It was news groups back then, not videos. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I had this really rich fantasy life that I'd never told anyone. I always wanted to go in an orgy and hear my wife 
was saying, you know, do you want to go to this place? And I was like, yes. It really came out as a screech. It was like, yes. And <laughs> so all day I'm thinking Delilah's, Delilah's orgy, naked women, sex. My whole body was inflamed. And to make a very long story short, uh, we showed up there around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, opened the door expecting this huge orgy and walked into a room with 300 guys and two women. And Carol was the third woman. So, you know, there were no orgy. There was no orgy. There was a bunch of guys waiting for women to arrive. And <laughs> to say I was disappointed is, you know, uh, to minimize it, I was, you know, wrecked on some level. But what happened after that was really the thing that changed my life is we took a walk uh, around the playa, the desert, and had, for me, the first honest conversation in my life around sexuality and desire. And I was like, Carol, I don't think you're the last woman I want to kiss. And she's like, I know you're not the last guy I want to kiss. And I was like, what? You know, we'd known each other for four or five years at this point. And all of a sudden, these secrets started to pour out. And it was just being able to speak honestly and truly my desire that changed the whole course of my life. And that was the, the start of it. That's a really interesting perspective. I mean, something that you mentioned that we kind of keep in the shadows that's important to bring into the light is our sexuality. And there's so much shame around it today. And, you know, you mentioned it was kind of like this hidden secret that you had with your, you know, internet porn and stuff that, that we kind of keep under wraps. But, you know, when you kind of bring these secrets and our shadows to the surface, there's so much more power. You know, not just not just bringing it into the conversation, but also with aligning it with your core values and who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. So how can other people listening to this really kind of let go of any shame that might be associated? And, you know, it might not be Internet porn might not be everyone's cup of tea because there's so many so much unraveling that needs to be done here. So what's mm -hmm. like the first step in, uh, you know, getting over the shame that's needed to have these honest and open conversations? Well, I like that you said it's a first step because, you know, shame is entwined in us. It's like part of our DNA. And society basically says you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do this, this, and that. And so we all have our own relationship to societal rules. But in my, you know, 18 years of personal work and, you know, the time teaching and coaching, I've never met someone who doesn't have a secret fetish, desire, something on the inside, something they feel shameful about. And I truly think that this is the center of the cancer of relation, of society is that we, we are told that it is wrong and we keep it secret. Once you bring a secret into the light, and like you said, out of the shadow into the light, that's where it can breathe. And I think a lot of this me, the Me Too situation and the conversations is really focused around men's shame around their desire. And we have so much desire, but we don't know how to communicate it. So the first step for healing society to ending harassment, to ending all this step is really just for all of us to admit that we're fully sexual beings in some manner and uh, admitting it to ourselves. So the first step really is, is that first acknowledgement that your desires is right. Your desire is right. Your desire is right. And starting to connect with the details of your desire and then just saying, okay, that might go against society. That might be against what my mom told me. It might even like I'm afraid to tell my partner, but to do that internal work to say my desire is right. Hmm. Wow, that that's really powerful. And, you know, any men that are listening to that, if you can just like feel that 
shift that happens, you know, when we're not ashamed, when we're not ashamed of desire. Desire is natural. It's a part of our humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, you speak to this so eloquently on October 18th, during the peak of the Me Too revolution, you wrote a Facebook post mm-hmm. that started with the following lines, your desire is right, your hunger is right. However, we have not been taught to communicate well with a woman. Mm-hmm. And then you you went on um, and described, you know, a little bit of what you just described previously. Can you can you speak to the importance of having these conversations publicly today and how that helps us to evolve? Well, there's a lot of anger between the genders. And, you know, I, I don't want to minimize the two genders because there are many different types of genders. So let's just say there's a lot of anger. And the anger has to do with people aren't allowing other people to fully expose themselves and fully be real. And so because of that, we shut it down and it comes out kind of like a secret or passive aggressive. And so the the goal of the post was was two things. One is really just to say to all men, your desire is right and your hunger is right. And that's something that very few men really believe or know. But I sit here as someone who's been, you know, researching sexuality personally, has taught sexuality for 12 years, you know, taught over 10,000 people. When you just sit down with someone and say your desire is right. Now, the next step of how to communicate it or how to have it or how to express it, that's a whole second challenging state. And a lot of women are angry at men because they're not fully embracing their own desire. They're doing kind of a drive-by, catcalling way of expressing their desire, and that doesn't work for women. So we have this men with all this desire and this, 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 this so much hunger inside of us and then not able to express it, and then we do express it, it's sort of like vomiting. <laughs> or worse, you know, there's rape. There's this all different ways we express our desire, and none of it's working. So the desire of the post was to say, you're right, and let's improve significantly. How do you express that desire? So what are some ways that you can talk about this and and talk with your partner uh, honestly and authentically about the things that are really going on? I mean, it's not easy to wake up. You know, we kind of hide things, you know, behind the facade. It's easier to do that. And when we do speak up, you know, it's hard to not seem like a nag. It's hard to not seem like there's always something quote unquote wrong with the relationship. How do you strike the balance between authentically talking about what's really going on below the surface and without it constantly coming up as an issue or a challenge? You know, is there a way to frame the conversation in a bigger way so that, you you know, the men in the relationship don't feel like they're being nagged or triggered or attacked? Well, there's a few questions in there. Let me just say about the nagging part. Um, Women tend to nag when they don't express their desire in the first generation. Mm -hmm. They tend to nag when they have a thought and then wait until they express it. Or, and or, and slash or, a woman says her desire to a man and a man doesn't acknowledge it. And so a woman will increase the potency, the power, the annoyance of her communication until a man does get it. So just know if you're at the nagging state, it either means a woman hasn't spoken up when they first have a desire or the man's not listening. So just know that. Now, how do you do this? How do you, how do you start, you know, trained our entire lives 
18, 25, 30, 45, 50, 65 years of life hiding? How do how do you make that transition, you know, to be honest with your partner? Or if you have a partnership for a year or five years or 10 years or 40 years, how do you start to be honest with your partner? So here's the way I recommend. The first, like I said, is you need to get right with your own desire. You have to find that whatever it is inside of you that feels right, that this part of you exists, it's not going away, and you want to have a conversation about it. So do the internal work before you bring it to your partner for you just to feel right about it. Mm. The second thing is is you want to um, you want to set a time where you can have this conversation without distraction. You want to say like, listen, there's something I want to talk to you about. And can we schedule or can we do this in half an hour, put our phones aside, make sure the kids are taken care of, turn off the television, turn off the music. I, I need to talk to you about something. Can we set a time for it? The third is before you go into that conversation, you have to know there's a possibility that your partner is going to leave you. Hmm. You just have to. It's like if you're starting this conversation about the honest path inside of you and you're living inside the fear that your partner might leave, you're only going to go at half-assed. You're only going to do a portion. You're going to be kind of safety and sneaky around it. And so there's always that risk when you reveal yourself that you are going to be leaved, which triggers people's fear of abandonment really drastically. But if you don't go into that conversation with that possibility or at least acknowledging it or awareing it, you're not going to go full force, which means the conversation is going to be, you know, not worthwhile. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's two more steps. Okay. The fourth step is you might want to start off with apologizing, which is counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. But the apology goes something like this. It's like, I have discovered this thing inside of me, this desire, this fetish, this whatever. I haven't told you, even though we've been together for five years. And I want to apologize to you for not having the courage to tell you that. I want to tell you my motivation of why I withheld it from you. I was afraid you would judge me or I was scared to death you were going to leave me or I was worried that um, like you would think I was a freak, like whatever it is true for you. But it's not an apology to diminish yourself. It's an apology to acknowledge that you could have, you could have spoken up in the past, but you were afraid. And it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to have fear. But to acknowledge this peace is a really uh, important step. Then the next step is, you know, and take your time with your partner. Make sure that they're following and you're not vomiting. You know, go slow. And the last <laughs> step is basically to say, I've discovered this part of myself. I've learned this thing. I have this inside of me. And I want to explore this with you. I don't want to do this separate from you. I want you to know all of me. I want to share all of me. I want you to see all of me. And I've been holding this part, and I trust you enough that I want to explore this with you. If the partner bails at that point, then there was a serious problem with the relationship. More often than not, though, if you have a solid relationship, it'll be the start of a conversation. It'll be a start of a dialogue that'll change both your lives. Wow. Yeah, that's really good stuff right there. How do you know when is the right time to bring this up 
uh, in your relationship. You know, you mentioned it could be any time from, you know, three months to one year to 10 years. Like there's a whole range of, you know, subtleties and nuances that happen in relationships and they can all happen at different times. So how do you know when is the right time to bring up an important discussion that can either make or break your relationship? It's never the right time. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, as soon as you figure it out, that's the right time. And, you know, do create a space. Like, you don't want them to have a 12-hour shift at work and then bring it up. Like, you want to be conscious of the container of the conversation. But as soon as you think it, that's the right time. And delaying it is just going to make things worse. Because, one, you'll know the truth's inside of you. And that'll cause, you know, anxiety in the in the person who wants to with with uh, reveal something. And second, your partner will start to you're acting weird. What's going on? So schedule that time as soon as possible. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. So you mentioned something earlier called internal work, and you know, for people that may not be privy to these, you know, emotional ways of embodying uh, relationships or the world, can you speak to some strategies that you use to do that, like deep internal work that you mentioned? Mm-hmm. There's there's so many. Um, there's a huge spectrum, and I'm only going to describe a very small portion of them. So just know. Uh, that going into this part of the conversation. So internal work just means to me that you sense something is not optimized inside of you. So notice I didn't say something bad or wrong or broken because I, I don't really truly believe in that. It's just something that's not optimized. It means something that's inside of you that's not firing on all its cylinders or you know there's a part of you that you can feel there's so much, there's possibility of growth. And so when you want to optimize something, you say to yourself, okay, I want to be better in bed or I want to be a better communicator or I want to have more internal work or I want to have more patience or less anger. Whatever that part of you that wants more to optimize, so identify it, really figure it out. Then we're blessed with something called Google Research it, <laughs> like really look into it, you know, look into anger management or, you know, erectile dysfunction or or communication, like just start to look at, you know, some information about it in, and be careful. Some sources are not great, obviously, on the Internet, but do your best to, to educate yourself on what's possible. Then find someone to help you because it's very difficult to do this by yourself, just like. You go to a yoga class to have a yoga instructor or hire a personal trainer to push you in the gym. It's the same stuff with your emotional work. So that could be a life coach. That could be a teacher. That could be a priest. That could be a 12-step program. That could be a therapist. Um, that could be a men's group. It could be a women's group. Um, look for support because we it's very difficult to optimize what we can't see, the stuff that's in our shadow. And that's the best thing that coaches or teachers or 12 steps can do for you is reveal the stuff about yourself that you can't see. When you say the word optimize, I love that because it's just a reframe and it gets people to a better place. Like in business, you know, you don't say if one if one part of your business isn't working, you don't say your business failed. You say, how can I optimize this? Yep. So it's the same concept across the board with your personal relationships and your the dynamics of your uh, relationship with your significant other. It's mm -hmm. it all goes hand in hand. How do you feel that your personal relationships affect everything that you do in your life because I, I'm of the opinion that 
It's so powerful. Like any relationship, mm-hmm. you know, that you have with others, it affects your business. It affects your bottom line. It affects how you interact with others in the world. And and when you use the word optimize, it really just takes on a new meaning and, and it allows, uh, you know, it allows us to liberate ourselves from the, the idea that we're failing or that we're not good at something. So mm-hmm. can you speak to the idea of, you know, the importance of optimizing your relationships to not just have a better relationship, but to be better in business or be better in other aspects of your life? I have met people who can separate their business life and the personal life. I do want to say that's possible, mm-hmm. but there aren't many. There are very few, actually. In, you know, especially in today's world where we have laptops that are always with us, cell phones always with us, the slacks, the Facebook messaging, the email, we, you know, we've moved into a place where regardless if you have your own business or not, we're pretty much always on call. So, you know, our business life and our personal lives have been really entwined. And I also know that when things aren't good with my fiance, that it, it bugs me. It's just like a, it's like an annoying energy source or like, it's like a, a little whine in my, or the nails on the chalkboard. I, you know, that's an old saying, but like the screech <laughs> of the nails on the chalkboard, um, it just, it affects you. It's, it's an energy suck and it's a piece. And so there, there are many, you know, we're very aware where we have cortexes and we're, you know, quite brilliant animals and mammals. And so it's very hard to separate the noise in our head when we try to do business. And if there's parts of your life that are not optimized, your relationship with your parents or siblings, your relationship with your partner, your business relationships or friends, when that's not optimized and that free attention that you could put towards your business and your success, if it's being distracted by other, it can have a detrimental effect. So I just think it's all entwined. What is the best resource that you found today that explains how to, you know, talk with your significant other, whether that's a man or a woman, um, about, you know, challenging things or how to see, uh, you know, the different dynamics that are going on in your relationship? Do you have any, any personal recommendations that you love that you think are really helpful for our listeners? Um. <clears throat> Hmm. There's not a lot of great books out there now on communication that I've come across and I have been researching. Um, you know, David Data's book, A Way of Superior Man, is probably one of the best out there, uh, though it's a bit antiquated, to be honest. It doesn't deal with the social media um, revolution that are happening. Um, the books on nonviolent communication, which I think are very powerful, uh, and then books on gender communication, um, whose whose title and author just passed out of my head. So I'll email it to you. You can put in the show notes. Um, but really, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of difference also between male and female communication and masculine feminine communication. Um, the masculine communication tends to communicate as a way to produce. Feminine communication tends to communicate in ways as connection. And so a lot of the men from Mars, uh, John Gray's book, Women from Venus, was a lot to do with about a man's desire, the masculine's desire to succeed and to move and create. And the feminine is really just there. I just want to connect and be connected to you. And so a lot of the conflict has to do with that one basic difference. Mm, That's so fascinating to me today, especially because a lot of women are in that masculine energy today and there are business, you know, leaders and CEOs. So, you know, how does that work with 
today's uh, relationship dynamics? How has that evolved over the years? And, you know, what are some things that we can do to, you know, spin that on its head? Well, it's a total mess, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. Um, I've done a lot of research on this as well. Um, there's a lot of changes in society, a lot of changes between men and women that are occurring even in the last, you know, the 21st century, the last 15 years. Things like the gender pay gap is shrinking. Uh, where of 64 cents uh, in the mid-80s, a woman to a man. Now, uh, a millennial woman, a woman of that age, entering the workforce is 93 cents to a man's dollar. So the shrinking of the gap has really changed a lot of the dynamics. Uh, women, the executives are, you know, women are still at a serious uh, lower percentage than men, but the, like I said, it's shrinking. And so women are being thrust into masculine positions and succeeding without the skill set of learning how to reconnect with their feminine after they leave the job, which means that women are more in their feminine. Men are responding, sorry, women are more in their masculine. Men are responding more in their feminine. And the polarity, the thing that actually creates a lot of charge, positive charge between the genders is shrinking. And so a lot's affected a lot around sexuality and relating. And a lot of men today are totally confused of how to be a good man in today's society. I have so many things to say about what you just talked about. But, you mm -hmm. know, I, I really want to talk about something in, really intriguing um, that you study and that you've worked on directly, um, the topic of conscious sexuality. You brought yeah. that to the mainstream market. Can you tell us a little bit about what conscious sexuality is and, you know, how we can communicate better about that? You know, kind of going back into a little bit of our previous discussion, but, you know, evolving that into where we're heading. I love David Data's work. Um, it's so important today in our society. But, you know, how do we evolve everything with and how do we keep up with the times today? Well, it really comes down to uh, conscious dialogue. To me, everything comes back to communication. And if you're if you're in a relationship and sexuality is not working for you, speak up, uh, be willing to talk about it. You know, I've been doing work and sexuality work for 18 years, and my fiance and I still dialogue about it, still trying to explore new things and trying things, which is really awesome. Um, in terms of what what conscious sexuality means to me is really getting out of the rote behaviors that we were taught, whereas in the past, you know, there's a lot of habits, there's a lot of shoulds, there's a lot of gender roles. Um, and then there's the advent of porn and the overflowing of porn in today's society, which has really skewed things up for men. Uh, men are learning more from porn, you know, especially young men, you know, 12, 13, 15 years old are learning from porn, which is very different than what actually women want. So the world is getting messier and messier um, in terms of of misinformation and miseducation. Conscious sexuality occurs when you say, wait a minute, these habits I have don't seem to be working for me. It doesn't seem to be working for my partner. What do we need to do to optimize again, to constructively work together to find the most optimized fashion to do it? And what it is, is just bringing light to it, communication, honesty to it. And then from that, you can go anywhere. I love that. I'm curious, what is your take about the Me Too, uh, you know, revolution, so to speak, that's going on today in our society? I know we touched upon it briefly earlier. Um, you know, is there anything else that you want to mention about what's needed in the conversation today to uh, really, 
evolve into where we need to head, whether it's with conscious sexuality, whether it's being more aware and mindful about how we show up in our relationships, or whether it's really even about how male respond. I mean, I see I see a lot of men just saying, like, I'm sorry. It's a great first step. I love that men are, you know, apologizing, but at the same time, like, do you think that more is needed? And where can this dialogue go, if so? I think it's really um, awareness. And I think, honestly, men don't honestly know the impact they have on women. And so what the best thing I've seen around Me Too is that men are starting to get a clue about, wow, that thing I did, oh, it was just fun, or boys being boys, or yeah, she liked it, like all those things that we tell ourselves are cracking open. And I think the most important thing is just a continuing the dialogue, the honest dialogue of what's happening in the world so we can still, you know, hip up and educate men about the effect. And then there's things like Kevin Spacey, um, you know, this whole thing. It's like this happens here too. It happens to young boys. It's not just men, you know, affecting women. It's men versus men. And then there's the abuse of power. And again, this is a skew of the desire. Men are put in positions of power. And finally, they're able to act out their desires but they do it in an unconscious manner, in a harmful manner. So again, saying, no, this isn't right. This isn't acceptable. So, And to give space for women just to constantly reveal that doesn't feel good or this we need to improve or no, you can't do that. Continuing to say in the moment what's inappropriate so we can get educated. Will you know sexual harassment end in our generation? No, I don't think so. But maybe in the next... And then maybe we keep talking about it and talking about it. At some point, we can tip the scale to, you know, 51% not doing it to 60% not doing it. And it could become a thing in the past. I certainly hope so. I mean, I think it's important as awkward and uncomfortable as these conversations are. I think there's so much value in having them. It's so important for our culture to just be aware and mindful of this so that we can continue to you know, grow together and become more mindful of how we're affecting other people. So Truly. I love the work that you do because you just bring so much mindfulness and awareness to these, you know, oftentimes taboo subjects. So thank you so much for bringing the work that you do into this world, Rob. It's really beautiful. My pleasure. Thank you. Is there somewhere that we can go to find you to keep in touch with you? Um, I know you have a book in the making. Do you want to touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, you can find all my work at toughlove.live. That's T-U-F-F love.live. I do a podcast. I'm a writer. I do videos. Pretty much that's the cohesion point is toughlove.live. And I do have a book uh, in process. I'm uh, in the middle of a pitch to Hay House. Hopefully I'll, I'll find out about that in another week or so. Uh, but the book is either going to be six months coming if I self-publish or 18 to 20 months if I get a publisher. Um, but everything can be found at toughlove.live. Thank you so much for joining me, Rob. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with The Art of Humanity.